Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see you all here. Let me get in position here. There we go. I pushed my buttons. Okay. It's great to be here and uh, start our week out uh, with a really, really good show tonight. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I also own the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 35 strong up and down the state of California. Uh, we also have branches in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii. I'm glad to have you guys here. Uh, the work we do is all nonprofit. And so if you need any paranormal help, be sure to visit us at www.californiahaunts.org or contact me at californiahauntsradio.com. See, it's easy. There's two places to contact me or find me on Facebook. I'm easy to find. Very easy. Okay, welcome to the California Haunts Radio Show. Again, you can find this show at www.californiahauntsradio.com and you will find all of our archives there as well as links for other um, ways to listen, like Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Uh, I forget who these people Apple, well, This is iTunes. This is Apple, huh? Let's tell you what I know. I met TuneIn and <laughs> iHeartRadio and all those other places and Spotify. So uh, you can find us there. Anyway, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, the show tonight, you know, um, I'm a journalist. I'm a journalist, photojournalist by trade. And sometimes I like to get important topics brought into the show because that's just what I did. In fact, I was a, I was a crime reporter for six years. And um, what we're going to talk about tonight is, is near and is near and dear to my heart because this goes on a lot. It goes on a lot more than people realize, excuse me, contact lenses, you know how it is. It goes on a lot more than people realize. And uh, there's a lot of horror stories out there. And having been on the uh, crime beat as long as I was, I ran into several, you know, really bad ones. People kill, I mean, uh, you know, wives killing husbands with shotguns. Um, sometimes they'll, they'll take the family pet, do things to the family pet. You know, it's just, it's just nasty stuff. And it, it's just, it, it, and like I said, it's horrible to watch. Uh, like the one couple that I cut, well, one of the couples that I cover, you know, in fact, that was an older couple in their seventies that, that this happened to. And, yeah, it, it was something. And I think we lost Renee. She was just there. But anyway, um, the show tonight is, is near and dear to my heart. I see what happened to Renee. She was just there. She just clicked off on me. I wonder if she decided not to do this. Let's see. Hang on a second. She was there and she left us. So, you know, it's dear, dear to my heart, Renee. And um, we may not have a show. Oh, there we go. She's back. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> that's kind of scary when someone blinks out. It's like genie. Um, <laughs> so it, it's near and dear to my heart. And like I said, uh, the the one couple that I I followed when I was working, they were an older couple. And it's you know it's not only younger couples that 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 goes through this. You know it's it's older couples too. You know they get in their seventies and their sixties, seventies, eighties, and sometimes they just don't get along. Okay. And in this particular case that I covered, she had shot him. And then she tried to say that they're going to go off, you know, that as an accident and all this. And, and, and as the thing started, 
to come out in court, it was really, really ugly. You know, the treatment that that, that, that they put upon each other. That, that was the thing where they, where they were both drinking and, and when they were drinking, they, they, they would get abusive and et cetera, et cetera. So when I came across um, Renee's story, I really wanted to talk with her about it because, like I said, this goes on all the time. And you, it could be your next door neighbor and you don't realize it, you know, because they, once when they come to the house, they put on a good face, right? So I want to welcome you guys here and let me get in the chat room. Let me open the chat room, see who we got. Hello, Athena, Jennifer. How are we doing? And uh, get the show started and Renee can tell you her can tell you her story because she can tell it a lot better than I can. So without uh, delay, here's Renee Fair. Far Fair. I hope I said your name right. I'm horrible with names. So okay, here we go. Hi. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much. And you were good with my name. It's Renee Fair. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. 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 All good. So tell everybody about yourself. A little bit about your story, and then we'll get more into the meat and potatoes. Okay. Um, I'm. I'm a lawyer by um, education and practice. I uh, grew up on a farm, four girls in the family, um, very middle class uh, and unknown to me and my family and my sisters. Uh, my oldest sister got into an abusive relationship. Okay. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was unfortunately almost 30 years ago and I always like to say that it was pre-OJ, that to me, OJ, the OJ Simpson case was a, a monumental case for domestic violence. I don't think people had talked about it a lot. A lot of times you heard judges, even in small counties like my, my own, what happened in the house stayed in the house. Right. And, and that's what, you know, people said, people thought. And after OJ, you know, uh, it kind of got blown out there and, and people started to talk about it. So things had changed a lot since then. But yeah, we I'm one of four girls and my oldest sister married someone who ended up being uh, a monstrous abuser and ultimately took her life. Um, and the story was... Uh, it sounds kind of silly, and I've, I've had people even comment to me, seriously, you didn't have any idea? Mm -hmm. No, I will tell you, we had no idea. We had absolutely no idea. You know, we were, my sisters and I were young, naive. Our family was young and naive, and it wasn't something a lot of people talked about. And mm -hmm. and she hit it. And, and she hit it because she didn't know. I, I honestly think she didn't appreciate the fact that she was in a relationship and it wasn't her fault. And, and, you know, all these years later, we've made great progress with domestic violence and people do talk about it and we understand it more, mm -hmm. but it can still happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, domestic violence does not discriminate. You know, it can happen to young, old, as you said, um, wealthy, poor, uh, white, black, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. It doesn't discriminate. It can happen to anybody and it can happen without people really knowing that it's happening to them. Mm -hmm. So um, my sister, Cheryl, she, she was, I always call her, if you believe on, believe in angels on earth, she was one of those angels on earth. She was just a really sweet soul. Didn't have a bad mean bone in her 
grew up loving animals and nursing and caring for animals. There was not an animal she couldn't rescue. She couldn't, she couldn't the health. And it was weird animals. We had, you know, pet chipmunks, rabbits, um, ducks, a raccoon named Tiny Tim, a goat named Petunia, a cow named Alfie. Every animal possible was, you know, tamed and made into a pet. That's just the kind-hearted soul that she was. And all she ever wanted to do was and have babies sure. of her own. That was that was her dream. Um, and oldest, she was shy. Um, we lived on a farm. We didn't have a lot of exposure to a lot of different people. We, we grew up in a little place. I go figure my dad farmed. And um you know, it was a town of 2,000 people. Uh, it took her all the way to high school and some boy paid to her. And that's that's all, you know, she, somebody was paying it to her and she thought, and she has nothing to compare it to. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And we, as her sisters, too, and we were excited that she was bringing a boy who had other boyfriends <laughs> to, to the house. You know? right. It was fun. We were, we were, you know, hadn't been exposed to any of that. So no surprise that she graduated from high school on to nurses training. Um, and then as soon as she graduated from nurses training, she married this person. Greg is his name and immediately started having babies, which is what she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I I can I can tell you stories of I don't know that I ever really really liked him. He was kind of intriguing at first. Um, he drove a fast gold Trans Am. He let me drive it once. It was really cool and that was that was fun. But I'll never ever forget he teased my sister and he okay so we're having internet issues today one of us is um horrendous things You know, he would reduce her to the tears. And, and and I'm sitting here going, hmm, this is how all boys treat okay hang on one second we're having internet issues i don't know if it's your end or mine i'm gonna go ahead and yeah she's gonna come in let's see if she comes in yeah i don't no. know i apologize i don't know if that's my connection or your connection. Yeah, i don't know if it's mine or yours okay that's okay yeah that's cool we're good um it's usually pretty good but anyway um 
I'm a, I'm a young lawyer now in Florida and mm -hmm. Cheryl calls me, my sister, and she says, Hey, Renee, I, I, I need a recommendation for a divorce, divorce attorney in in Champaign. Not unusual. I mean, I was the one people called and said, you know, can you give me some legal advice or help me find, do this or, you know, for a friend, that's, that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I can find somebody there. Who's it for? And she said, me. And I said, what? I, I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you can't get divorced. I told her that. You can't get divorced. You're All right. Let me, let me do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bug off here for a second. Just stay there. Don't move. And I'm going to switch internet here. Get I'm going to shift my internet. Hang on. Let's see if it's my end. Hang on one second. I'm going to shift over. I'm going to lose you for a second here. Just let me. You have three kids. I'm checking network apartments. I'm switching off here to. Okay. All right. Let's try that. See if that works any better. I'm going to shift her off for a second and we're going to bring her back in. All right. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, we lost her again, but that was me. I was I I flipped out. There, so okay. Can you, see if we can get you back in. We're having issues today. Still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. You're frozen. <laughs> go ahead and go out and get, come back in one more time. Okay. Yeah, go out and come back in because I just switched my internet carrier over. So I want to see. Hang on a second, you guys. I'm going to get her back in. So give me a second. Good interview, too. Okay, let's get her. She's coming back in. So let's see if my internet carries better. Okay, let's try this. Okay, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I just switched my internet over. So maybe it's on my end. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I pause on my end. But anyway, she. Um, asked me for the name of the divorce attorney. And after I went through the, all the reasons you can't get divorced, um, I asked her if she'd been to counseling. And she said um, she had been, she had been going to counseling. And I'm like, well, have you two been together? You know, you really need to go to counseling. Mm -hmm. um, you find a counselor. And I was so, so proud of myself. I went off and I found her a counselor and, and she went, you know, she was very um, compliant. You know, the older, the oldest sister, she always wanted to, to please. She was very pleaser. Even though I'm younger, she still wanted to, to please. So she went to counsel. Um, I, I found out that uh, her and her husband and the three kids went to a hotel room, you know, had gone on for a couple of weeks and, um, they went to swim in the swimming pool and they went to a local zoo and a park. And I thought, Oh good. It's all, it's all going to be good. She's gone to counseling and they've, they fixed all their problems. And I was talking to my other sister and I said, Oh, sure. I went to counseling. How, how was it? Have you talked to her yet? And she said, Oh, Renee, she came back and she had hickeys all over her neck. Wow. I'm like, 
are you kidding me? And she goes, no, it was disgusting. And so Cheryl was very prim and proper, very straight laced. She was a nurse. She worked in a neonatal unit. That probably horrified her and embarrassed her to no end. I am absolutely sure. But all I could think of it that at the time was, oh my gosh, he, he marked her, you know, he, he marked her like a dog marked territory. And he really was sending her and all of us a message. Then and I'm like, oh, this is, this is disgusting. This is not okay. People, I don't care how young I am. This is, can't do this. This is not okay. And so that I said, you know what? I I will help you find a divorce attorney and, and we'll figure all this out and you can this person. So she did. Um, and he, he was at the time we knew about that, the hickeys and she, the only thing she would say, it was very interesting. She would say to us, he's not nice to me. Okay. Well, what does that mean? You know, a lot of people aren't nice to each other. Oh, again, we had no idea what he's not nice to me meant. Um, but she, he kept threatening her that he was going to take her boys away from her. She had three little boys and they meant everything in the world to her. And I, I was a young attorney, but I knew at the time, if you're going to get into a divorce battle. You better take some good notes. You better document everything because you never know when you're going to need those things. And, and that's what I told her. I said, you've, you know, look, I can't promise you he's not going to take the kids away because you just don't know what's going to happen with the court system and mm-hmm. no guarantees, but you, you just got to document. And so she literally picked her son who was to go into kindergarten Spider-Man notebook and um, started just taking notes and she was a nurse. Mm-hmm. So she took very detailed data them and she just started going through factual things. Um, and I didn't know, I knew she was doing that because she told me she was, but that wasn't anything I saw until um, way after her death. Um, but it's it's been something that was still hard for me to to read and think about. But it was it was amazing that it helped us out. So he he they went through I mean just terrible times. He got a restraining order against her. She said, "I want a divorce." He then filed the divorce first. <laughs> you know, we need all that control right i mm-hmm. he needed to be in control and so he filed the divorce petition and then on the backside would beg her you know don't leave me i love you if i can't have you no one else can you know all these phrases that really are very typical of of abusers to say to other people and that was in July. So it was kind of a short period of time, but it was very tense because their relationship was so, um, I, I don't know, rocky. 
his family kind of got involved. Our family got involved. He accused her of and now, you know, that it's gaslighting where mm-hmm. everything he accused her of, he was, but she wasn't doing. Right. You know, you're abusing the kids of them and I'm going people that you're abusing them and then I'm going to show them the pictures. You know, well, they were five, three, 15 months and they were all little boys and they, mm-hmm. you know, they were very active little boys. Yes, they had bruises and cuts and scrapes, but it wasn't from abuse. It was from being little boys. Uh-huh. But he would take a picture, and I'm going to use it against you. Uh-huh. Um, you're you're doing drugs, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell everybody you're doing that. He called um, the Department of Children and Family Services, our social services for children. You know, they came to visit. It was just one thing after another. Um, you know, isn't it, was, he, was he clever enough? I mean, because you guys obviously didn't see any bruises on her. So was he one of these that was clever enough to hit her like below, you know, the neckline? So you couldn't see the bruises. You know, that's interesting. Um, we occasionally saw bruises and I can go back to pictures and see bruises. Mm-hmm. She was not your athletic super coordinated person. She never was. And there were times when she had a black eye and she came to, she said that she um, lifted up and opened and uh, hit her face on the cabinet, the upper cabinet that she had opened. She didn't realize it. Right. Mm -hmm. She had a bruise on her jaw at one time. And she said that she, um, ran into the, the corner of the house going down to the basement, you know, right. I, I, she always excused away. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's hindsight is 2020. And as a, sure. as a family, you, you believe that, I mean, because you don't want that something bad is happening. Sure. Um, and, and later we also found out that he was, um, he was a big strangler. He liked to choke her mm. and he, you know, that, that doesn't always leave marks. And if it did, she'd just right. wear something that was, was higher on her neck. Sure. But yeah, I mean, he, he did some pretty horrendous things to her. And um, it, it, a lot of times the, the things that he did were in front of, or at least with the children present in the home. And Yeah. Yeah, it's not not good, and uh, it was it was escalating. And at one point, uh, the judge put, uh, you know, again pre OJ. I don't think judges today would do this, but he left the kids in the house and he had them rotating in and out. So you know they had there was no safe spot, right? Cause they both had keys to the home and could go in and out of the home and would have to cross paths, which today, you know, I, I don't think in a, in a situation that would have been as contentious as this, that judges would do that, mm-hmm. but they did back then. Um, and they weren't that educated and they didn't really understand. I think the danger that some of these folks are really in. So her youngest one, had um, asthma 
and he called her at work one night and said, you know, the baby's had, you know, had trouble with and breathing and I've been giving him his treatments, but I'd really like you to come by and, and check on him. And she's like, you know, I'm not supposed to be there when you're there. I, I'm going to get off work late. You know, no, I'm not coming by. And he just kept calling her. And I mean, she ended up getting off really late. It was like after eight o'clock at night, she goes by there, she leaves the, the car running and walks in and doesn't see him. He comes up from the basement behind her and, you know, it starts, he, he come back to me. I don't want you to leave me. I love you. You're the only thing I ever love. If I can't have you, no one else will have you. Um, and then he gets her, he doesn't want her to leave. He gets her into their bedroom and he has already placed ropes up on the headboard and he gets her hands and he ties them up and he sits on her and he starts to assault her. And, and this, she actually um, writes in her, she details it in her journal. And so this not only had, did she tell me about it, but then I've read it, you know, in her journal and there's a terrifying point in there because at one point she says, I saw the look in his eye and I knew for the first time that he could really kill me. Oh. And he had taken a rope and put it around her neck and he'd stuffed the sheets in her mouth. And she was, you know, just trying to get away from him. And, and she said, I finally just thought if I'm going to live, I've got to, I've got to get him to, to back down and I'll just, start to sweet talk him. And she always thought she would say to me, I can handle him, Renee. You know, I, I can handle him. I can always talk him down. And she managed to, to struggle and get away from him and get her hands undone and start to run. And he grabbed her and he had a piece of paper and he kind of bent her over the back of a couch and put the paper in front of her. And he said, if you're going anywhere, I need you to sign this. And it said um, she had agreed to have consensual sex with him that night. <laughs> it's like, Jeez. I know, right. You can't make this stuff up, but it's, it's, it's true. And he kept demanding that she sign this paper and she just, she just wanted out of there, you know, and she refused to sign it. She got to the door, you know, literally a horror story movie, you know, and she gets the door open, he slams it behind her and it's got her jean jacket and pulling on her. She finally does get out. She, her car is in the driveway. She's now shut it off because she's been in there long enough and he's told her to shut off because he's needed to talk to her. But she doesn't get back in her car. She runs a quarter mile down the road, just terrified to the neighbors and beats on their door. And now it's like 10, 15 at night. And they're like, Oh my gosh. So they take her in and, and that happened. Um, and my mom goes over, they take her to the emergency room and I can remember the next day talking to her and being so, I can't say happy, but I, I said to her, you know, sometimes it takes something really bad to happen in order for something good to happen. And I said, he, he tried to kill you and, and you got away. Mm -hmm. He's not 
ever going to get custody of those kids. And that's all she, she was just so scared that she was going to lose custody of her kids. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's probably just weird listening to me talk about this like it, but we were, we were celebrating because he tried to kill her, Mm -hmm. but now she wasn't going to lose custody of her kids. It's not weird though. I mean, I mean, maybe to somebody else that's listening, but for me having to sit through these court trials, like I did, yeah, this is all, I mean, this goes on all the time. People don't realize it. Just like you were talking about the judge, you know, there's a gender, that generation. Yeah. Cause you got to figure, you know, that my mother was in that generation. There was, there's a generation there where women were supposed to be submissive. Yes. And you hit the judges at the right age, you know, that were from that, you know, from either have parents of that generation or whatever, but, but, but they, but that's what they were thinking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, but it's the same story over and over. Mm -hmm. It's the same words. Now that I've been doing this work and, and out and speaking and, and writing about it, I can't tell you how many times an abuser will say, if I can't have you, no one can, no one will. will. It's, it's bizarre. It's like, do they all read the textbook for this? But they do, you know, it's the same story over and over, which is why I want to talk about it because it, unless you know this stuff, it, you don't know it. Right. Right. Unless you've talked about it. And so she, she was really, we were thrilled. I mean, we had that little celebration. She went to court. She got an emergency um, hearing and the judge granted her sole custody of the children, exclusive possession of the home, ordered him to pay her support. She had gone and her drug testing results were back and they were negative. You know, everything was really to her and, and to me falling in place for her, you know, go get a credit card so you can establish your own credit. She had a, uh, like a Bronco and it took a lot of gas and she'd been, she's like, I don't think I can afford to continue to drive that. So she was looking at a different car. She put a bed on layaway back then, you know, we had layaway. Right. She didn't want to sleep in, in that bed anymore. Um, Bought the kids. Uh, Halloween costumes, laid out clothes for um, school pictures. And she honestly, and she started to to talk to me and to my sisters and my mom and dad about what had happened and what, you know, really, Renee, this doesn't happen to you. You know, oh, okay. I, you know, I want to wear makeup. He wouldn't allow her to wear makeup. You don't need makeup. So we were helping her do that. She got a new hairdo, all this stuff. And I mean, it really looked like things were going her way. And I'll never forget. I'm now 1800 miles away from my family sitting in my office in Daytona beach, Florida. And I feel this weird presence in my doorway and I look up. And there's my husband in a t-shirt and shorts standing there with like tears streaming down his face. And, and it was very surreal. You know, he doesn't belong in my doorway. He works 60 miles the other way from where I worked. 
And, and I just looked up at him and I said, Oh my God, he killed her. Didn't he? He killed her. And he just shook his head. I, I, I knew, I knew why he was there. I knew what had happened. And, and, and we all knew that he was going to do that. We thought though, that after he tried to kill her, that she was going to be safe. Right. And again, it's that textbook case. Just when you're trying to get away and you think that things are good, you're probably in the most danger. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that was her case. And um, he, I mean, we knew she, what had happened that morning is she didn't show up for work at the, the local hospital and her, she was very private. She didn't tell people a lot. She told several people little bits and pieces, but the nurses she worked with knew that she was going through kind of a bad um, end to marriage. Uh-huh. And so when she didn't show up for work, she was always on time for work. She loved her job. She loved, she worked in a neonatal unit and she loved the babies. They called the house. One of the nurses called the house. First time, nobody answered. She calls back. Second time, a, a child answers and she recognizes it as being Cheryl's oldest, who was five at the time. And the nurse said, you know, where's your mommy? And he says, I don't know. And she said, well, do me a favor, put down the phone go find your mommy and either bring her back to the phone or come back to the phone and tell me where you found her, you know, what's going on, but don't hang up on me. And she said he was gone for what seemed like forever. And he finally came back to the phone and in a very sweet, sad little voice, he said, I found my mommy. And she said, you did. Where is she at? And he said, she's asleep in the garage with a rope around her neck and I can't wake her up. Oh, wow. So um, the nurse immediately had another nurse dispatch 911, and she stayed on the phone with, with him. Now, amazingly enough, Greg, um, that night had stayed, he'd been living with his parents, and that night he'd stayed one block from his parents at his grandparents' home. Who were in their 80s and did not hear well. He had not stayed there since he was 13 years old, but that night he stayed overnight with them. And he got up the next morning and he was a volunteer uh, paramedic, uh, EMT firefighter. And he and his grandpa decided to go to the firehouse and wash his vehicle at 6 a.m. And so when the call came in at 7.15, when she was supposed to be at a seven o'clock shift, he was the first person to answer the call. Jeez. <laughs> also very standard. The killer always shows back up to the scene of the accident or the yep. scene of the murder. Right. I mean, though, so many cops will tell you that. So he literally is the first emergency vehicle to be dispatched. And a, a friend of mine was actually in the truck with him and, and says, I remember him and we're get, you know speeding out of town and i finally looked at him and said you got to put the truck in in gear he had it in a low gear he didn't even have it in the right gear mm-hmm. you know so he switched it and put it in gear and they go out there and he gets out there and he says oh my god what has she done now what has cheryl done now and the dispatch call came in um with no name 
and nothing other than emergency at the house. Now, mind you, she has three little boys, one with asthma. How did he know it was her? (laughs) But, but that's what he said. And, and so many people, such a small town knew that they'd been having issues that uh, the neighbor who had helped her before also on the fire department came back, came down and said, you are not going anywhere near that house. You get back here. And so other people came. Um, so, and, you know, saw, found her, um, got the kids out of the house. My, my poor parents, my dad was out in the field and small town back then you had, um, what were those called? The scanners, you know, people listen to emergency scanners and they'd heard a call dispatched and, and literally a person came and got my dad out of the field and said, I think something bad has happened to your daughter. So he went to the nursing home where my mom worked, picked up my mom and they ran out there. And, you know, again, you get to the scene and, and all this is going on. So they called me and they said, you know, I now know John, John has told me that this has happened and and I'm talking to them and I'm like, you just, just take the boys. We've got to just save the boys and do something with them. And interesting, he never, while he was there at the scene, he never, he never asked about him or did anything. The neighbor came down and actually um, took the boys down to her house. And then um, we, took the boys and uh, back then in the state of Illinois, uh, if, if one parent died, the kids were automatically the custody of the other parent and grandparents didn't have what's called standing or the right to ask for custody if there was still a parent alive. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do, but you got to just take the boys and we'll figure it out. The judge um, actually held a shelter care hearing and put the boys in my parents' custody, even though it was against the law at the time. But I, th- I think he felt guilty. He knew what happened to her. He's the one who had ordered the situation and, and, and not done more, even, you know. And so I think he kind of threw us a bone there and, and gave us custody of the kids. That, that went all the way to the Supreme Court but at the appellate court level, it got reversed. And, and that day, Greg took local police, went into kindergarten. The oldest one was in kindergarten and took a police officer and plucked his son out of the circle of kids that were sitting there and said, I got custody of you now and took him. Yes. Literally like he was a piece of property, you know, it, it was that was another just terrifying, you know, moment in our lives of, oh my God, somebody, somebody can really do that. Somebody is that God awful. He's five years old. You just plucked him out of a kindergarten class. Think of the trauma he probably caused to the other kids in the class that a a uniformed police officer comes and picks up a five-year-old, literally picks him up and carries him out of the class. So it was, you know, these, this battle with him just went on. It did go all the way up to the Supreme Court and um, my parents helped change law in Illinois 
um, and ended up uh, getting custody of them, guardianship of them. But all along, all these years, they never charged him with anything. I talked to the state's attorney. He would say to me, Renee, I know he killed your sister, but we just don't have any evidence. And you think back right into the OJ Simpson case and everybody wanted something direct. You know what? Want this this smoking gun piece of evidence. I don't know what else you need. He tried to kill her three weeks before. She didn't have any enemies. All of her stuff was there. Her purse was on the table. There wasn't a forced entry. Um, she had died and the um, pattern around her neck was horizontal. Well, if you die by hanging, you're, the pattern is more vertical because the rope slips that way. Right. You know, it, she had a lividity pattern on her back. Um, means that she died on a on something that left a pattern on her back, but flat on her back when the blood stopped flowing. She had rug burns on an elbow and a back of a heel because she'd been dragged across the floor. <laughs> you know, when they found her, she she was only suspended really about six inches off the off the floor, oh. um, and the rope had not slipped. You know, but there was a ladder there, and the it was, he had said to her, another thing he'd said to her, if I ever catch you with another man, I'm going to string you up like I do my deer. He was a big hunter. Oh. And he would dress deer on a on a metal rod that he ha had across the rafters in the garage. And he'd hang his deer there. And that's where she was. And that's where they found her. So it was just, you know, years of uh, somebody's going to talk. We think okay. of people were involved. We'll find that direct evidence, you know, but there's no statute limitations on murder, Renee. We'll, we're going to get him. You know, and my every year I'd say, I always called it the pilgrimage. My parents would get dressed up and they'd go down to the state's attorney's office. Mm -hmm. Hang on, guys. Here back in. See if that works better. Are there any developments? Okay. We can come back anything yeah, hang on, you're freezing up. So let's see. I don't know whose end it is on. Let me reset this again. See if I can get this back in. That one. Um, I but maybe you didn't lose.
Okay, let's try this again. Are you there? I'm back. Can you hear me? He had tried to make it look like a suicide, right? Yes. Okay. I'll get this together here. Very much so. Yes. He tried to stage it to look like a suicide. Her family or his family was saying she committed suicide. We were saying, oh, no, she didn't. She had way too many plans and, and good things happening and things in place. And you know, it, was just, it was just crazy. And I, my family and I, I started doing just so much of the investigation, hiring experts, talking to a rope expert, um, different forensic um, pathologists and investigators and just talking to psychics, doing everything we could, presenting anything I could to the state's attorney who would just say, you know, I think somebody's going to talk. Someday somebody's going to talk, mm -hmm. you know, and literally the years start to go by. We didn't want him to get custody. That was a primary thing. My parents had that guardianship, but we ended up filing a civil wrongful death suit against him, which is a murder case in the civil courts and the burden of proof is different, right? Sure. He had, he got um, put life insurance on her just about six weeks before he killed her. Of course he did. And uh, we didn't want him to, to profit from that. So we brought the suit and intended to prove in the civil court he murdered her. And if he did that in the civil court, he couldn't collect the insurance and he wouldn't get custody of the kids. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't want us to prove that in the civil court, right? The burden of proof is much less. And so he ended up after years settling that with us and gave up the uh, money and actually gave up custody of the kids to my parents. So my parents were able to raise the kids. Life goes on. We never talked about it with the boys because since he was never um, arrested or charged, they had to visit him, you know? And when they started, I mean, they're, they're five, three or and 15 months. And right. we talked to counselors and stuff and it's, you don't, you don't talk to them about, Oh, your dad killed your mom. You know, he's a piece of crap. Um, get in the car and have a great weekend. And we hope we see you alive on Sunday. Right. You know, you can't do that. It's silly. And then and then you're like, OK, at what age do you tell them? Why would you do that? Because nothing is happening in and in, in, in the criminal world. So they, we talk about it, you say, OK, when they're 13, when they're 15, when they're 16, when they're 18, when they get married. Why? Okay. What are you going to say and why? And are they going to believe you because he never got arrested and they still have a relationship with him? So it wasn't until, gosh, uh, 2015, there's a, a young woman who um, 
was actually in college when my sister was was murdered and she remembers the case. She remembers her parents talking about it and her parents saying there's no way that mother killed herself and, and you know left herself in the house to be found by her three young boys. That just is not true. And um, Dana is the name of the young lady. She always wanted to become a lawyer. She wanted to be a state's attorney. She had a family history of that in that county. And she said, if I ever get to be state's attorney in that county, I'm gonna solve that case. So she got in there and started working that case unknown to us. And in about 2015, she called and she said, I, I've been working this case and I'm getting ready to charge it. And I wanna make sure that it's okay with the family. It's been so long, it could be traumatic. Mm -hmm. And I need DNA from the boys because there was a blood stain on my sister's nightgown. She was in a nightgown when she was killed and they couldn't match the DNA. Uh -huh. It didn't match to hers or to him. And, you know, they didn't want that to be the reasonable doubt, right? Uh -huh. The real killer left that blood stain there and that's enough reasonable doubt. And so they thought, well, three little boys, a mom, maybe the blood was from one of the boys. I'm like, well, how are you going to get their DNA? They don't even know that we think their dad killed their mom. Mm -hmm. So I got to call them all on the phone and tell them that all these years later, we'd always believed it, but nothing had happened. And now somebody was pursuing it and they wanted their DNA. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the start of, you know, us telling the boys and, and going through that. He was ultimately, it wasn't his DNA or any of the kids either. It wasn't theirs either. And so that was always somewhat terrifying to me as a lawyer to go into that case and, and not have that pinned down. Uh -huh. Back then they had, there was um, a condom that was found at the scene, but back then they didn't have DNA that was as precise as it is now. And that's right. one of the things that changed. People always say, what really changed? And I said, well, DNA was huge. Because they were able, they saved all the samples and they were able to retest it under the new DNA. And they could almost exclusively prove that it was his on the inside and hers on the outside. Yeah. yeah. He tried to argue that um, it was from weeks before. And that's what they use for uh, contraceptive. And, and she just left it lay on the floor in the house. Um, by the door that you walked in and out that went to the garage and she's got three little kids. Yeah. Didn't happen. And not my sister, no way. So, you know, those, those things really changed. And um, in July of 2017, the case went to trial. Um, after a week of trial, uh, the jury came back in less than two hours and convicted him. Oh. So it was um, kind of a, I don't know, bittersweet, but yeah. at least we found justice. And um, the judge was amazing. I write about this in my book. Uh, his, and I put a lot of it in there word for word, but his ruling, he said when he sentenced him, I want to send, make sure you spend. I did it again. Okay, go ahead. 
<laughs> I, yeah, there you go. Right. I want to make sure that you spend a year behind bars for every year you've been running free since you killed her. And so he sentenced her to 50, sentenced him to 54 years, um, but calculated time served and sentencing guidelines back then and said, you will serve 27 years. Oh. So pretty, pretty excited um, about that. And again, good and bad, right? It took so long. Um, but, but sometimes I, I say, you know, things happen for a reason and, and maybe if he'd been tried way back when, maybe he wouldn't have been convicted, you know, maybe it had been more like the OJ case. Um, so for whatever reason, um, it worked out this way and we, we finally got justice for Cheryl and, um, I, Cheryl was a helper and I wouldn't want her to have died in vain. And so I, I wrote the book and I've been out there advocating and educating people about domestic violence and telling my story because I, I'm not embarrassed and I'm not ashamed by it. And right. I, I, I think you can get into these situations and, and, and you can feel embarrassment or shame but it can happen to anybody. And unless we can talk about it, um, I think, I think we, we in sharing stories can provide hope to other people. And that's, that's what I want to do is if I can connect with just one person every once in a while and provide them with hope or to understand that what's happening to them is not okay. And that there are resources out there. That's what I want to do. And so um, since, uh, September when the book came out, I've, I've been speaking, um, at different opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, there's Willow Tree missions in, in Piatt County where he was tried. They were fantastic to my family during the trial. And, um, I've raised, I just sent them another $400 today and raised $3,150 for them, um, donating proceeds from the sale of the book. And uh, just getting ready to announce another promotion where if, if you buy the book directly from me, I donate $10 of the 20 to um, uh, a domestic violence shelter in, in honor of my sister. I have a quick question. When he would come over, or did he, did, did he come over for holidays, you know, when the family would get together for holidays and stuff, did he come over at all? Because a lot of those times those guys don't want to, those guys don't want to deal with the family. Yeah. Oh, you, you got it. He was, he would come and, um, in the beginning he came more often. Right. And then he got, we would walk on eggshells around him because as soon as he decided it was time to go, it was okay. Help Cheryl and kids get out the door. So he doesn't get pissed off because she's taking too long to get out the door. Okay. Then it was, he wouldn't come, but she would come. Sure. But she couldn't stay very long or she had, had an excuse and had to leave. Uh -huh. He very much over time isolated her. Another very typical um, pattern of an abuser is to isolate them from their family and friends. And her friends would say that too, is she just became very distant. Um, you know, and there's just all kinds of stories. I can remember being at her house once and we were hanging something up in the living room, pictures up. And she's like, oh my God, I think he just drove in. You got put that down put that down. You got to go. You got to go right now. You know, we were never comfortable in, uh -huh. in the house. He, you know, it was just, things just were never good enough for him. 
And that's, you know, you, I read stories in her journal or notes in her journal and, you know, and around five o'clock she worked, he worked. She didn't have it on the table at five o'clock. So he came home and he, he's like, you know, if you'd had dinner on the table at five o'clock, I wouldn't have to pick up the whole plate of spaghetti at your head and hit the wall. You know, that's her fault. Just so typical and, and, yeah. and standard. Right. And it's just like, no, you, you don't have to be treated that way. People, mm -hmm. people and normal is a range, right? Cause we're all not normal sometimes. <laughs> Well, I knew stories too of, of these guys that would time or, or or they'd go shopping. They'd send the woman in to shop, but he knew just how long it would take to shop. Yeah. So if she ran late in a line or something, she came out of the car, she would end up getting slapped or, or, or verbally abused because it took too long to shop. Yes. And God forbid, she might've been talking to another man. Yes. <laughs> You know, you, it was amazing what she would get accused of doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, this goes on all the time. People don't realize it. Yeah. And I mean, a lot has changed. We talk about it now. We're more educated. There's way more resources. There's just tons of resources out there for people to get help. And they talk about safety planning to get away and all those things. But I don't know. If it's really any less, I think, I think you can get more credibility that yes, it's happening and you can get help and resources and people will believe you much more than they would back when Cheryl was going through it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it happens any less. And that's a shame to me in 30 years that it wouldn't have changed. I still think women are, well, it could go both ways, either a woman or a man doing it. Right. But I think the, 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 the person that's being abused is ashamed, and that's the issue. I think that, that's the bottom line, is they're, they're just ashamed, and they don't want to tell the family or tell their friends that this is going on. Right. I think so, because we, we take it on as our own personal failure, and, and you do, there's a lot of brainwashing that is involved in abuse. I mean, they, I've done a lot of research and reading on it, and it is very much um, the Stockholm Syndrome on hostages, where a hostage can actually um, feel real true feelings towards the person who has taken them hostage. Mm -hmm. and, and it's that same type of brainwashing that happens to the person. And you don't, you don't even know that it's happening to you. And it's really hard to get out of that cycle without support and, and professional help to, to help you break that. But the good news is you can. There are things you can do and there's a lot of resources and, and people are successful in, in changing their path. You know, you do hear a lot of times somebody gets out of one bad relationship and gets into another. Okay. That, that can happen. But there is the ability to break that cycle. I was looking at your website. You have, you know, your website's really, really nice. Thank and you. You do have some suggestions for resources. Can yeah. you tell people some resources that, that, that are out there? Um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is one of my favorites. You can find it um, online. And I, I really like it because you can be on their website and it's not traceable. A lot of people worry about if they get on, 
um, the, the guy's going to get on their computer and see that they've maybe looked at that type of a site for assistance and that puts them in danger. Um, and so it's anonymous the same, you can call them and be anonymous. So they have a lot of great resources, a lot of great, um, articles that are fantastic too, but almost, almost every local, at least by County and sometimes in the cities have uh, domestic violence hotlines and shelters now too. So there's just, there's just a ton of resources out there. If you just look just even a little bit and you can find them. Um, and, and a lot of people talk now about this safety planning of, okay, you're in this situation. Let's talk about how do you safely get out of it? And it's not just, I'm going to pick up and leave today. No, you actually plan and, and people will plan with you. You know, how will you have enough money? Will you have a car? Will you have gas? Where are you going to go? Um, you know, what are you going to do with the kids? What are you going to tell him? And it's, it's, it's awesome because um, these resources can can help you with that. And then they can provide you with additional resources too, like even housing or clothing or food or shelter for you and your children, all kinds of things. Well, that's a lot of it too, because the abuser will keep, will, will, will keep them so far down to the point that they don't have the money to take off if they wanted to. I mean, that's, yeah. That's a lot of it, especially if they have kids. So having those resources is wonderful for them to be able to do that. Right. But again, not everybody takes advantage of it for whatever reason, but I mean, at least they're out there. Right. There are resources out there and there are um, a lot of people that have been in or are in similar circumstances. So I like to tell people, don't think it's only you. It's not only you. Mm -hmm. And and the power of talking to other people and sharing stories is amazing and provides hope. And there's, there's power and hope in numbers too. So, you know, if you, if you know somebody, you can't force them to leave. You can't, I could never have said anything to her. All you can do is listen, be a really good listener and provide resources and support when they make the decisions that, you know, I'm going to leave or I want to leave or I want help. That's, that's all you can do, but you can, you can ask questions and you can provide them with articles and, and, you know, the resources and um, show them, you know, how other people live. Sometimes they just don't know, right. You fall into what you've seen. If you grew up in an abusive household, you might think that's just normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, at least she had the wherewithal to keep a journal. Yes. Yeah. So there it, was a, a running record of, of what he was doing, because I mean, otherwise you guys, you know, I mean, you had an inkling of what was going on. You know, you knew what was going on, but, but the, but the seat in the journal really, really brought it home. And as far as the authorities went, what was, you know, for, for the court trial to have all that. Yes, it was, all that was very instrumental. And it was, by the time we got to the trial, one of the, the other things that, uh, the state's attorney did that was really ingenious was they took her testimony from the emergency after he tried to kill her the first time. So the emergency temporary orders and they had a person read that into, into evidence as my sister. And so um, the headlines in the paper were, you know, the deceased is the first witness it was very, very powerful because 
they could read in for not the truth of the matter asserted, but to show her state of mind and what was happening, all that prior testimony of her telling this horrendous story of how she thought he was going to kill her. And then he did. <laughs> now here's a question. In the 27 years that it took to get him convicted, did he move on and marry and get involved with somebody else and marry, you know, and have it start a new family? Yes. Multiple, he never, well, not that I know of. I don't know if he has other children. Right. I, not that I know of, but okay. he, he did marry um, maybe more than once and connected with other people. That was one of the oddest things at, by the time we got to trial, my mom had been reached out to by prior girlfriends and a wife. Uh -huh. um, and they started to like tell my mom these stories of, of things that he, they, he had done to them. And so he'd been abusive to other ones. They actually, two, two of the women came and testified at the sentencing hearing. Um, it, it was amazing. I mean, uh, my heart went out to them too. He was very abusive to them too. And, but he would tell them about her because small town, right? And you think, why would you be with him if you think he killed him? And they, oh, she was crazy. She was whacked out of her mind and crazy. And, you know, then he'd sweet talk him and stuff and then ends up, you know, he'd turn on them and then they were terrified. And so it was amazing that they, they came back and, and actually testified on behalf of our, of our family. Um, I was kind of curious about this. That's, 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 that's yeah. interesting to me that 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 he went on. Well, obviously he would go on, but I'm just saying that that these women, knowing you know, possibly knowing his history, got involved with him anyway, and then you know, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's the attraction yeah. to a bad boy. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it is. It's just a, it, yeah. I don't know what it is. I guess. I mean. He obviously could be very nice, and and I think a lot of them are right, and get yeah. you hooked into their web. Yeah, and then they change. I got yeah. a story. I got a story I can tell you about one in particular that I covered. That they were both college students, and they dated off and on. And he went over to see her one night, and um, stayed the night, and he stabbed her like twelve times in the shoulder. And instead of like taking off and calling the cops or whatever he left her there because she was terrified he left her there went to Rite Aid bought bandages and he gave her a bath he nursed her did all this stuff next day he had to fly out of Sacramento airport to go to LA to see his parents she drove him to the airport dropped him off yeah isn't it crazy that's crazy but she went, um, her, she went to her sister's house and her sister, that's where her sister told her you're crazy. So they call the, they finally called the police on him. Right. But it, it's amazing that, you know, it, somehow I'm sure he convinced her that if she hadn't done or she had done something, he wouldn't have had to do that to her. Yep. yep. That was Greg's famous last words. Mm hmm. If you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have had to act that way. You know, you made me do it. Yeah. With your bad behavior or you wouldn't control the kids and that upset me. And then I had to get angry with you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. That's how they are. That's how they are. 
you know, um, I thank you for coming on. We had to get this out. You know, the story has to be out for people to hear. Well, I appreciate you having me. Um, and I'm sorry we had the internet issues. I don't know whose end it was on, but. I know. I don't know either. And I, I work from home a lot and I usually don't have issues, but who knows, you know? Yeah. But uh, um, this, this had, you know, we had to get this on the air. Well, I appreciate it. I, and I hope um, I connect with even just one person out there and make a difference in their life. It would make my sister very, very happy. And for anybody else out there, I say, she was a kind, loving, sweet soul. And if you want to help me keep her legacy alive, be kind mm -hmm. and help somebody else. And Absolutely. you will help me keep her legacy alive. Absolutely. How can people reach you? Um, you can reach me um, on my website. It's, you know, ReneeFair.com. I uh, have a business, Fair Advocacy, dot, Fair Advocacy and Consultation. You can Google that. Um, and my email address is fairrenee, so last name, first name, at gmail.com. Okay. And how do they get your book? Uh, you can buy the book either by instant messaging me, um, and I'll donate uh, 10 of the 20 to uh, Domestic Violence Shelter. You can buy it on Amazon. My publisher is Wild Blue Press. They have a website. You can buy it there, too. And I think it's in Barnes & Nobles now, too. Okay, cool. Again, I want to thank you for coming on. And again, I uh, I don't know. Florida's had what tornadoes? Haven't you guys? It's been tornadoes. Yeah, I'm in Illinois right now, but yes, I actually am headed to Florida this weekend okay. and um, have my friends that have been dodging the tornadoes. So yeah, there's a lot of wild weather out there. So maybe that had something to do with it. Between there is Illinois, there is. so who knows? But uh, again, I apologize for the internet. So. But I really, I don't want to say I enjoyed having you on because that would not be the correct word, but it meant a lot to me to have you on. To Thank talk you. About this. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And I really appreciate the opportunity to, to just get the word out and, and spread the story. And please, if, if you are a victim, do not do, be embarrassed or ashamed. Um, there's others out there who um, can relate and can help. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. You have a good evening and thank you so much again. All right. Thank you. Good night. Have a good evening. All right, guys. Well, that, like I said, that was near and dear to my heart to, to, to have her on. It's, it's a shame about the internet, but at least we were able to get through it. And um, I want to thank everybody for coming. Um, wow. I, I just don't know what to say after that. It's just, you know, just, just, just kind of sit quiet for a couple of minutes, you know, a couple of minutes and let it all sink in, you know, the story, because it, it, it happens all the time. It could be happening next door to you. You just don't know, you know, but it, it happens all the time. Um, tonight at midnight, I'm going to be back on the air. We're going to be uh, going live to Vienna, Austria with Dr. Robert Farrell, our good friend, talking about Noah's flood. So uh, if you want to catch us at midnight, if, if, if you know if you'd like to stay up late, please do that. Okay, well, as you see the ticker down at the bottom, this is my time to do my KVIE thing. Um, I want to keep these kind of these types of guests coming, and the only issue with that is that not, my, that my team is nonprofit, so all the costs for the internet and the computers and the mics and all this stuff you see comes out of my pocket. So if you could find it in your heart to donate a little bit to us, so that we can keep shows like this coming on i would really appreciate it that's at paypal.me at california haunts or if you're uncomfortable with paypal 
you can do Venmo and just type in California Haunts. But like I said, um, we are non a nonprofit organization. So, you know, all the lighting, everything. So when something breaks, I have to replace it or pay for the internet service or stream yard it, you know, keep these shows coming. So that would be paypal.me at California Haunts or Venmo, California Haunts. Uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people. We're equal opportunity here. We want to get as many subscribers as possible. You know, the more subscribers we get, the more the word gets out about the show and about our, our guests like Renee. And uh, you can do that. Uh, that's YouTube. And if you look down, if, if you're on YouTube right now and you look down at the bottom right-hand corner, you will see a little ghost with a Sherlock Holmes hat on and a magnifying glass. And that's where you click to subscribe. If you can't find the YouTube page, go ahead and go to our webpage at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And the, the vid, this video will be posted in a few minutes on the front page of that. And if you click on it, it will take you to our YouTube page where we have over 170 videos of different shows that we've done. So uh, please do. And like I said, um, if you have, have it in your heart to donate, please, please do that as well. I want to thank you guys for coming. Um, for those of you that, again, stay up late tonight, I will be back at midnight with uh, Dr. Robert Farrell talking about, uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of Noah's flood and what his research has, has come up with. And that, again, that'll be at midnight Pacific time. So I want to thank everybody. And I'm going to go ahead and show Renee's website and the book and the, uh, the Amazon address and all that where, where you can get the book. And uh, then I will see you tonight. So here we go. That's Renee Fair, R-E-N-E-E-F-E-H-R dot com for the website. And the book is The Wheels of Justice. And you can get that, like she says, Barnes and Noble, at, at, even at Amazon.com if, if you want to get it there. Again, thank you guys very much for coming. I will see some of you at midnight. Bye-bye.